Greetings from Las Vegas for Care Talk's third annual HLTH conference interview series. Virtual care, care coordination, care management, collaboration, artificial intelligence, concierge care. Stop, stop. That's like too the, much. Like the old Red Sauce commercial. It's all in there with Pager, a white label solution for healthcare that's like having a doctor in the family. Our guest today is Walter Jin, chairman and CEO. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy, and now a top five healthcare podcast. Hoorah. I'm, I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. Welcome, Walter. That is an endless list of capabilities. How could <laughs> anyone live up to that? Maybe you could uh, start with the pager origin story and a little bit of what brought you to this. A, a natural health tech executive, with you, you came come to it with no experience. With, with zero experience. And thank you, by the way, first of all, to having me, David and John. Uh, really looking forward to this. Uh, as, you, as you guys know, since we've known each other for years, um, I'm one of those financial guys, right? My background, Wall Street, private equity, venture capital, focused on healthcare uh, for decades. And um, nothing really changed. We had a lot of theses about what's broken in healthcare. You hear Eminem in the background kind of building, Walter, so we're expecting a really amazing role in this. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, yes. And, uh, and, you know, I had one of those proverbial midlife experiences, my, my, my folks got sick. Uh, so it was one of those meaning of life kind of questions that came up and I'd already done probably what I achieved and hoped, uh, in, in well, and then it wasn't just private equity. You actually were exposed. It was healthcare, private equity. You were very successful as a healthcare investor, seeing the good and the bad of the companies. Right. Right. And, um, and when my parents got sick, uh, the saving grace was my brother. Uh, and my brother, being an ER physician, was a doctor in our family. And uh, I, I can't imagine us going through what we went through without him. Uh, and uh, it's not that my brother is providing physician care with my parents every single day. Um, the amount of time he actually practices being a physician is very small. The, it's all the other stuff. The care coordination, the education, the training on how to take albuterol in your inhaler. All these things, because healthcare is so complicated, it's so fragmented, and you need a doctor in the family almost to help guide you through that experience, that healthcare journey. And from a health equity perspective, um, no one really has it. Very few people. We are, we, are, we are the 1% that has this benefit. I can't imagine what people struggle going through when they have these personal issues with their loved ones, their family. What do they do? And, um, and I think that uh, what we solve to do for our mission and vision is to deliver that doctor and the family experience to the 99% because it's their right. I mean, people talk about, oh, well, I want healthcare as a right. Okay. But if you, let's say we had a national healthcare system for US healthcare policy and economic perspective, but everyone has to wait and it's still complicated and still fragmented. That's really not going to get there. Uh, and, and so, David, in the intro, why when you mentioned virtual care, care navigation, virtual care access, care coordination, AI, all that needs to happen to be able to deliver doctor and family experience at scale. Now, Pager started, I believe, with one of the Uber folks, some Uber technologists who were overselling what you could do, just <laughs> match a doctor and it would all be perfect. And then there was this French dude 
who was running around saying America does not know how to understand healthcare. John, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I mean, the French, you know, they did help us out in the, in the revolution. So I think we should be I'm a little more grateful than that, John, even if they didn't solve everything with virtual care. No, but I, it was, it was, you have, te- you took the elements that were much more oriented towards what was wrong and sort of a tech first throat. Like, how did you build from there towards your vision of, of sort of a, sort of a, an automated partner, if you will? The, the, uh, the thing that the pager got right in the beginning was the focus on the consumer experience and engagement. Because if you don't engage the consumer, the patient, uh, members, then they're not going to do what they need to do. Uh, and uh, technology should be used to make things easier. I have this saying that convenience leads to compliance. And that, that's what it does, right? In all parts of our... That's beautiful, actually. I think it's, I think, and I think that people outside, people inside healthcare don't understand how inconvenient, the inconvenient truth about healthcare is it's constantly inconvenient. So, I mean, not just in, in finance, but in healthcare too, it does come down to dollars and cents. And you make a big deal about and what the costs are per clinical encounter that you're able to save. And I saw a figure of over $200. What is a clinical encounter? What does that mean, David? I mean, you just use these medical phrases. That's not a medical phrase. You don't know what an encounter is, John? It's like a a euphemism. Well, how about be specific? When my 88-year-old mother, what is a clinical encounter? I think it's a a good question. I'm going to put it to Walter because I think you could say... You can't answer it. (laughs) No, I could answer it. I'll answer it. So you have... You know, if you just have like a, a visit to a doctor, you're probably not going to save $200 for that. So the encounter, I think, is like a mini episode. That's how I'm going to tee it up and see what, see what Walter says. That's, that's close. It's at any time that you have an interaction with the parts of the healthcare system. That's why I say this, this fragment of healthcare system would be that clinical encounter. And, and the, the issue that I think we all struggle with is our healthcare system is very complicated. It's very fragmented. We really don't know where to go. We have a lot of options right? There's urgent care, ER, primary care, specialty care, minute clinic, Walgreens. And there's so many options. Walgreens, everything. <laughs> we've now got doctors, we've got post-acute. Sorry, so that was just doing a yeah, little advertisement. Yeah, well, we brought, that's why we're only bringing on people whose name starts with Walgreens or Walter Greens in this case. So, yeah. So, you know, we have two problems as, as patients. Number one, we don't know what's really clinically wrong with us or our family, right? We're not doctors. And number two, even if we knew what was wrong with us, how do you know where to go? Which part of the healthcare system are you supposed to access? And then number three is how do you access that quickly? It's not easy. We don't have open table scheduling in healthcare, but with Pager, that's one of the elements that we bring to the table. So that's where the care navigation starts, what I call find care. Then access is get care. And then there's follow-up, which is aftercare. Uh, And aftercare is extremely important because... Otherwise, it's a disjointed experience. So if you have a telemedicine visit, for example, what happens after that telemedicine visit when you have a question after you went to Walgreens, you're welcome, and you picked up your prescription, and then you had a question of, gee, can I take this with or without food? Am I supposed to? If I feel better, we can ask Jason from Teladoc, who's our next interview, David. That would be a good one to post to him, how all the gaps in his business plan as opposed to Walter. Well, then you can even ask him, what does with food mean? Is that just before you eat or just after or within an hour of eating? Or So it's, so it's, all, it's all good. But let's talk a little bit more about this, like having a doctor in the family. Like I have a brother who's a doctor. We have very much this role, right? Luckily, I'm pretty healthy. There's some people in the family that aren't. And you have these sort of questions. Should I go here? Should I go there? And you don't have to give the context. You can get him immediately. He gets back to you. If he doesn't know, he'll say. It's personalized. Yeah. 
all that. So how do you, so I understand those elements of it, but how do you actually make that happen? Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of companies that are out there that's, that have a lot of the same words that I started the show off with, but I still have the, I still call my brother. Even though you're advising these companies. Doesn't he advise you? And I don't take the advice. So, so Walter, I guess the question is, what's the, what's the combination of, of actually human and technology that gets you that, that sort of, that's accompaniment during the care journey that, 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 you're, that you're trying to build? And how do you do that? Because it's got to be people as well as tech that gets you there. It has to be. It has to be. It's a hybrid approach. And this is very, very subtle difference uh, or, or distinction. If you're 100% automation AI, the problem is you won't get the engagement. You just won't. We tried it. We failed. You won't get it. Uh, no one wants to play 20 questions with the robot when your daughter's having a seizure. You don't trust the AI that much. Maybe for, you know, figuring out your ID card or renewing a subscription on Netflix, but not for healthcare when it comes to people's lives and health and safety. Um, and the alternative is also not feasible from a healthcare policy and economic perspective, which is all labor. So if we have concierge labor, well, that's great that we have your, 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 your brother, my brother, doctors in the family, but that's too expensive. And there's not enough of them. It's, not it's, it's absolutely not scalable. So imagine if you have, as an example, one of many things that we do, chat messaging plus AI. Now, why do I say chat? We're omni-channel, so we support video, voice, whatever the consumer wants, we support. However, we do promote chat because it's the one medium, and you know this on your phones when you're chatting with your family, coworkers, with me, you can talk to multiple people at the same time. So when COVID hit, as an example, our nurses were talking to 10 people at the same time because you can have chat enable concurrent sessions and AI jumps in and out of the conversation. So John, I could start with you saying, how could I help you? And uh, something's wrong with your, your left arm and, and I feel sorry. So I start compassion to care, get that engagement and trust with you. And then let me ask you a few questions. It's the same clinical questions any nurse or doctor would ask you, but now AI is going to ask you. But I prepared you for that. Meanwhile, I'm going to go over to David. And I'm going to pick up the next one, so on and so forth. And when AI is ready with your case, I'll come back in. The system will let me know. And then the doctor or the nurse, it's always under their control to figure out what the next best action is. I was trying to understand, John, why I kept hearing about your colonoscopy and the lack thereof. So now I, now I think I understand it. The bot told him to tell me about it. Um, but, but how, and, and so how does one access pager? I mean, do you, you know, do you, do you, can you, buy it can you like who who hires you and how does a patient actually get to you we're we're 100 white label so no one really knows who pager is uh, we're you behind should. the scenes well sometimes that's the exception that proves the rule john come on depending on the day uh the 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 way we figured our go-to-market strategy was to work with the healthcare institutions that already have the market share because and, and this goes back to my private equity venture capital days right um, sometimes in healthcare, a lot of times, the best products don't win. It's very difficult to scale in the healthcare ecosystem because you have legacy incumbent, very large institutions that dominate their markets, big payers, big providers, big pharmacy. Uh, and I've just rarely seen companies grow to the point where they can have scale. And so taking that recognition and applying it to pager, we change our go-to-market strategy to work in partnership and enable the big 500-pound gorillas that already have the market share. So we can now deliver that experience through their products. Health plans, big health systems, 
hopefully maybe big pharmacy. Big pharmacy. We always talk about big pharma. Now we got a new, we got a new term. Now, now John mentioned we're going to talk to Teladoc next. And, you know, since they're public, it's easy to see the ups and the downs and the downs and a little bit of ups after that. Things have changed a lot in the last year or two. I think you raised money a year ago or so. What are things looking like after, you know, the uh, public health emergencies started to, to wane? What kind of impact does that have on you, if any? I think the realization for COVID and that health emergency was uh, a, a wake-up call that we spent 10 years in digital health investments, thousands of companies, $10 billion investment. And what happened when we had the world global pandemic crisis? It failed. Let's be honest. People died. It's not funny. That technology didn't work. Telemedicine. Let's talk about that scalability issue. You know what the thing is with telemedicine? What were the wait times during COVID? They were hours. The abandonment rate was 80%. There were not enough doctors. With video, you can only have one conversation, one clinical encounter, David, at a time. With voice, you can have one clinical conversation at a time. It's not scalable. There aren't enough doctors. There's a physician shortage. There's a nurse shortage. There's burned out. We need to make uh, this supply chain, which is the, a lot of things got broken in, 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 in COVID, uh, and it's healthcare as well. So you see pager as a way to create automation. There's labor arbitrage. You can actually scale the people you've got to reach more people. It sounds perfect. What's your biggest challenge at pager to actually scale this and make it work you know, with health systems and health plan? Biggest challenge is getting this ecosystem working together. So even though we may work uh, with, with, with payers as an example, because they have all the lives, we can't do it without providers. So now we've got to integrate with the provider ecosystem on a local market basis as well. And then pharmacy and then point solutions. This ecosystem that's so fragmented has to come together on some collaboration platform. And that's what we provide. We have this ability to create a virtual care team for you, the member, the patient, your loved ones, so that when you come into, let's say, the Walgreens platform powered by Pager, you can get access to a team of nurses, doctors, pharmacists, care coordinators, social workers, SDOH, all that in one place. So no one wants to download 40 different apps, John. We, well, at, 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 at my Walgreens, we have 60 million active users, 90 million uh, registered. Oh, so we actually are pretty, 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 we got pretty broad reach. But your point that, that above that, you need to add sort of a, a, a curated intelligence layer with people, I think is absolutely right. What are, are there different challenges when you're working with health systems versus health plans? There is. Uh, the biggest difference, I think, is that health plans are at risk. They're insurance companies by definition, and providers are still predominantly fee-for-service. And this is where, when you think from a healthcare policy perspective, there really needs to be reform on the payment system. Uh, fee-for-service just doesn't work uh, for a lot of reasons. We could do it in another podcast. And value-based care really is the, the right direction. But everyone is talking about value-based care, but the only thing they're doing is really just creating a lot of contracts, financial incentives. financial. And we've, we've seen this before, right? We're all old enough. And in the 80s, it was called capitation. In the 90s, it was PPMs. And then 2000s, ACOs. You can call it what you want. It's the concept was a risk. David, what were the 60s like? <laughs> John, I was born in the summer of love. 
That's all I got to say about the 60s. And I remember the moon landing, but it might not have been the first one. So the thing about the other difference between health plans and health systems is that health plans are doing pretty well financially, risk-based or not, and providers are struggling. But they're making, you know, the health plans are doing okay. They're doing great, right? And the hospitals in particular are struggling. And some of the other players, including retailers and, you know, some of the other names besides the W ones, have been making acquisitions. They've been getting into the space. They understand they are more of a consumer first, uh, you know, type of a type of a business model. I mean, are the hospitals going to survive? Is Pager going to enable them? Or are we really talking about the health plans are now going to turn their activity somewhere else because they're not going to put the hospitals at risk to put somebody else at risk? The ones that the ones that go at risk, I think, will survive. The ones that depend on fee for service, they're going to continue to decline a slow bleed death because uh, all their businesses are getting picked off one by one. It started with outpatient ambulatory stuff, and uh, and it'll just con- continue over time. And without philanthropy and 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 the government, um, it's really just a matter of time. And so I think there there needs to be this wake up call on the healthcare hospital health system ecosystem of doing things differently. And and fee for service is is just the world has, has woken up to the game, right? You, you can't, I, there, there's, a, there's a university that I won't mention uh, where an employer came to them and said, hey, we have a problem. Our healthcare costs are going up like crazy. We need to, ca- to capitate this, go at risk. And they said, yes, they did this physician council. They figured out how to redo the practice of medicine and they created tremendous savings, a great financial return for, for the university, great, uh, you know, uh, savings for the employer. And then the question was simply asked, so did you take that learning and apply it to all of your patients so that you don't have to do 10 MRI scans? You don't have to overutilize this, that, and the other thing. And the answer was no, because, and so this again is the problem. So they're, they were financially very successful going at risk, yet they won't apply that system-wide because 99% of their patients are still fee-for-service. The cash register is still ringing on fee-for-service. It's a habit trail. So we're here in Las Vegas at CareTalk's third annual HLTH conference interview series. And I know I started out with this laundry list of things that Pedro was doing, but I think after hearing Walter's coherent story, I'll put my wager on Pager. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens South. If you like what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service. Thank you, Walter, for joining us. Thank you, John. Thank you, David. Fun times. 